Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 12 through 16. It can be found on page 1095. Before we read, let's pause, and we pause to understand what we are doing, and we pause to ask for God's strength to give us what are the riches of his word. Let's ask him in prayer. Dear Lord, we open up your word, your gospel, the good news, and we pray that you would give to us a a mind devoted to understand, a mind devoted to worship. And we pray that you would be with all that proceeds here now, that you would bless the the preaching of your word, that it would be true and right, rightly applied, rightly interpreted, and that it would be taken by us and we would apply it rightly, that we would understand even more what you have done, and we would be in awe of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 5, beginning at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. And make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Ascends the reading of God's word. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What a request! What a request request from a sorrowed soul. What we could say is what a request from one who is so pathetic, one who is so hopeless, thrown away and on the outskirts of everything, one who has lost any credibility, one who comes before the Lord full and riddled with this disease. And expresses a request of faith, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's what we hear in this text, that request of the Lord, and one that's very important, and one that we ourselves make and need to understand. Because what we have here today is a truth so beautiful, so beautiful not to just this leper, but to us as we have the same request of our own souls, Lord, if you will, you can make us clean. The last-ditch effort, the last place to turn, the only hope, and that request that hangs in the air. There it is, and we hear it. And how will it be answered? How should the Lord respond to such a request from a man who is so impure, who is so pathetic. What do we expect to hear? You see, all of us need to hear this message. Some of us need to hear it to be reminded of our need for cleansing, 
And so some of us need to hear it to be just knocked down off of our pedestal and to, to realize that we are not exalted above everyone else, that we are just like this leper. And that comes from this text. But even more appropriate to the, the tone of this text, some of us need to hear this because we need to know we're cleansed. We need to believe it and to hear it. See, what comes from this text, what comes from this encounter with the el- this leper illustrates the good news that we struggle to embrace. And each of us struggles to embrace this. To embrace the words of our Lord and what he's come to do to cleanse. Jesus came to touch the untouchable, undeniably declaring you clean. That's what we see here. He came to touch the untouchable, to undeniably declare you clean. Well, let's immerse ourselves in the details of this text. Who are the untouchable? What do we see here? We see this leper. One who was untouchable. Leprosy is a term that today we use and, and more sp- apply it specifically to what we call Hansen's disease, but in the Bible it was more broad. It replied, it applied to a lot of different skin diseases. And we don't know all of what those were, but Luke tells us enough. He tells us this, that this man was full of leprosy. He was riddled with it. Luke's word there shows he didn't just have a piece of it. It wasn't as if it was just a touch of this leprosy. He was full of it. It had racked his whole body, his whole system. You couldn't see this man and not understand that he was full of this. Full of something that was so wretched from what we know about it, from the accounts and what you read. You know that lepers were often those who would walk around with diseases in their skin, rotting flesh. They would have smelled as if they were rotting flesh, literally wasting away. Their nerve endings would have been, at this point, dead and unfeeling, and so most of them would have been missing things like hands or, or, or fingers, noses, all these things that they would have literally either just clawed off, fallen and not noticed it, bleeding and weeping of all of you can imagine from open wounds and sores. This man was, and we need to hear this, this man was grotesque, a living abomination. In fact, those who describe such cases of leprosy aptly call it a walking corpse, the living dead. No hope of healing, ostracized and set alone, solitary in their life, cut off from everyone. That was their lot in life. You know, we're quick to avoid smells and whatever disgust us, and this takes that to a level beyond anything we can really imagine today. As this isn't just a part of our life, we don't just see lepers off in the distance and think, oh, I'm glad I'm not that one. I'm glad that God hasn't cursed me because of my sin like he did that fellow over there. And add to this the fear they had in God's own law that to come into contact with a leper was to be contaminated, was to be cut off from God's presence lest you came too close to such a one and you yourself were impure to even approach the temple. You see, lepers weren't allowed in the synagogues. Lepers weren't allowed in the crowds. They couldn't touch their family. They couldn't go up and pick up their kids. They couldn't kiss their wife. The only way that they could perhaps have some contact with those they used to know was from a distance. And maybe their family could leave them some food. 
And they could go and get it after they'd left. You see, they could maybe live in a leper colony with others just like them, but they had been cut off from all clean touch, from all good fellowship. It was gone. Leviticus 13, 45-46 tells us what this meant under God's law. This is what they were called to do. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be, and notice this, outside the camp. Cut off from God's people. To to be cut off and to dwell outside the camp. We know what that means. That's just more than keep him isolated. He's cut off from the worship of the Lord. He's cut off from the covenant community. He He can't come in and fellowship. Dwelling outside the camp bereft of all the contact, acceptance, and welcome that we take for granted. We have a a good illustration of what just the absence of fellowship and touch is like several years ago going through COVID. We know what happened to many of the, the retirement communities and homes that were closed down. And many of the elderly were bereft of that fellowship with their loved ones. And, and this is in a small degree of what leprosy would have, but it, but it illustrates the point. They desired contact and touch. All, just even having the, the hand of a loved one placed on their shoulder or on their hand to even receive a hug meant so much to these, these elderly who had been cut off from the presence of their family. How much can a touch convey at a certain point when you haven't had it? Just simply a touch conveys more than words. It can convey more love than what we understand because you understand your condition. Who would touch you? Not only were others unwilling to, you wouldn't desire your family to even touch you because you knew you were that dangerous. You had no right. You just walked and lived your life as if you were a walking spreader of this disease. So you were isolated. What a sad and sorry condition. The Old Testament shows that at times God would cause and use this disease as a way of punishment. Miriam, Moses' sister, was temporarily chastised with leprosy after she and Aaron opposed Moses. It was only for a short time, and the Lord took it away, but it was a punishment that caused her to have to dwell outside the camp. It was appropriately fitting at that time because her and Aaron had come forth in pride and and said, Is it only Moses? What about us? And in her pride, what ended up happening is the Lord placed this disease on her, which made her unclean, which made her separate. And what did that do to her, her pride? It was a fitting punishment, but that's not, that's not the only place we see that in God's word. In Deuteronomy 28:27, all of God's people are threatened with leprosy for their disobedience and rejection of the Lord. This is what would come upon them. David curses the house of Joab, saying, among other things, May the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous. May the house of Joab never be without those who are cut off from the presence of the Lord, who are impure and unclean, who are attained upon the family themselves. 
2 Kings 5, after Elisha had healed Naaman of his leprosy, Elisha's servant goes and steals the gifts that had been offered, and so as punishment, the leprosy of Naaman is placed on him. 2 Kings 15, Azariah, the king of Judah, he reigned in the land and reigned well in the land, but he did not take down the high places of idolatry. And so the Lord says in 2 Kings 15, 5, that he would touch the king and that he was to be a leper to the day of his death and live in a separate house. So what does this Old Testament background mean? It means what was their understanding in the day was that to have leprosy and to have this disease likely meant that you were one who deserved it. You were punished. They wouldn't necessarily come to it. Because we, we can come to it and say in, in wisdom and application here, it's not like this man. We have no reason to say this man had done something so sinful as to be punished with this. There were many who were leprous who had just the disease for God's purposes and God's will that weren't being get placed under some divine judgment. But likely most of the people wouldn't come to it that way and would rather understand it as not only were you untouchable because you were grotesque and gross and smelly and could give me a disease, but God had called you untouchable. God had placed this upon you. You weren't, you weren't right before him. And so justly separated. You see all of this that would hang over this untouchable man. What he would think and feel and know. You were untouchable in every respect. You were untouchable infectiously because you were afraid of contaminating all around you with the actual literal disease. You were untouchable ceremonially. You couldn't come before the Lord, and if you were to touch anyone else, they couldn't either. You were untouchable morally because the people would think of you as a terrible sinner. And though, as we said, this man may not have had received this as some punishment, the disease itself was a description of sin. That is why the Lord said that those who are leprous could not come before his presence, because it was always to be a ceremonial reminder to all the people that there was sin, and there was brokenness, and that that didn't belong in his presence. And so you would be, in that sense, a sign of the people's very sin. Because you couldn't approach the Lord because you weren't perfect. You weren't clean. It was a reminder, it should have been, to all the people of the uncleanness we have before the Lord. And you were untouchable practically because who, after all, would lay a finger on you? What a fitting description of our condition before God. We should see in this leper a description of sin and of who we are. Filthy contaminated, untouchable, outside the camp. Better to yell to all around us, unclean, don't come near to me, than it would be for us to draw near. And so what we see is what happens next, touching the untouchable. What Jesus does. This leper comes to Jesus. And right here, the original audience would have alarms going off in their heads. This isn't right. This isn't proper. How is he approaching? He's unclean. He's supposed to stay away. And so if there were crowds around Jesus, you better believe they would have scattered. Because this man is approaching. Stay away from him. And he comes closer. And he shouldn't, is what the people would be thinking. 
leper falls on his face and begs, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice his request. It's not one of doubt of the Lord's power. He has full conviction, having heard of what the Lord has done. He knows he has the power to cleanse him. But what's his question? Where's his doubt in his willingness to do it for him? Lord, you can cleanse me, but I don't know if you're willing to. And so we hear that question hang in the dead air space. And then we read and place yourself in his shoes. This is your life. A wretched condition. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. Reached out his hand? Why? He could have just said it. Jesus has done plenty of miracles by the power of his word alone. But he chose to do this miracle through the means of a touch and the power of his word. To touch the untouchable. To touch the grotesque. And as everyone would have ran from this man, Jesus actually reaches out and places his hand upon a man who how long has it been since he felt the touch of one clean? I will, says Jesus, and immediately the leprosy leaves him. Mark's account in this parallel passage tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. That's certainly present here, but you see, that's not what Luke chooses to highlight. It's, it's clearly there, the very touch that he's describing is because of compassion and love. But what does Luke highlight? What Luke highlights is the fact that Jesus was willing. And that's important for us. He was compassionate, but even more, he was willing to touch the untouchable. This is good news. The leprosy immediately leaves him, and we see in that the power of Jesus' own hand. And why does that matter? Why is that good news for us? Because if Jesus just had the good intention and the compassionate heart to touch, but not the power to cleanse, then he was a fool who made matters worse. He is unclean then under the law. He failed to heal this man. He had not helped the situation at all. But what we see instead is that he had the power to cleanse, and even more than that, was willing to. And isn't that the very mystery of the incarnation itself? That Jesus didn't just have and possess the power to cleanse what no, no one else could, but the heart and desire to touch the untouchable. Calvin takes this account and, and makes it even more personal. And he likens, he compares the touch to this leper to the incarnation itself, to what Jesus did in coming as a man. Calvin says, when Jesus took upon himself our flesh, he did not only stoop to touch us with his hand, but was united to one in the same body with ourselves, that we might be flesh of his flesh. Nor did he only stretch out his arm to us, but descended from heaven, even to hell, and yet contracted no stain from it. But retaining his innocence, took away our impurities and sprinkled us with his holiness. Per the law's own requirements and judgments, 
Those who touch a leper are unclean, but that's not the case of our Savior, because he is the cleanser. He is the one who can't take impurity and actually be impure himself. He's the beloved Son of God, so he can take what is the curse, he can take what is unclean and wretched and cleanse it and not become impure in the process. He could take on our own flesh. And that's really what we should see. That touch of a leper is illustrating the taking on of the body of flesh. To take on a humble form, to take on our own, and to come to the untouchable, the leprous, the diseased, the grotesque. And to show compassion and love and a willingness, even a desire to touch those who need cleansing. And that's where we come to our third point, living cleansed. Living cleansed. Do you struggle to live cleansed? And I don't mean by that to live in obediently and produce good works. I mean, do you struggle by living cleansed to accept the truth and to know it? To know before the Lord that you are cleansed? Or do you struggle even to process and accept that Jesus cleansed you? Do you think you're so untouchable before God and that God is repulsed by you? Do you think that you're just an abomination in his sight, someone who should be quarantined away, someone who should be cut outside the camp, someone who is gross, smelly, and rotting? Is that how you perceive yourself before God? What does this text show you? This text shows you that Jesus cleanses you And he illustrates that through a man full of leprosy, riddled with it, just like we are so riddled in our sin, full of a sinful condition. And Jesus takes that impurity away and then sends this man to experience full restoration by the priests. This is a detail we might just skip over, but this is, this is amazing. He says, go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is accomplishing many different things. First, he's just being obedient to Old Testament law. He's telling the man, go do this. You've been cleansed, now go do the appropriate ceremony to restore you. What does this also do? It's, it's showing them to the priests. So through this, there's a declaration to the priests of one who's walking around Israel and in his ministry doing what no one else can do. And then it is no mistake that the next narratives encounter the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes, and this is the ones who then come to him. And so there's this, there's this revelation to the people or the officers and the priests of Israel of what has just happened. So that's being done here as well. But the most important thing that's being done is that this man is being restored to be proclaimed by the officials and those who have the authority to all the people. This man is now guilty no longer. This man has no more impurity. This man is to be fully restored and embraced. There's no restriction of him anymore. A declaration of his cleansing, a declaration of being right before God and the people See, what it's picturing, it's picturing that removal of God's power and his grace of what made you impure. It's a picture of what Jesus does for us. Removing the disease, removing that, and cleansing us. And so in this seldom used ritual, it wasn't like a leper was coming to the the temple precincts every day and said, I was cleansed. 
This would have spread around. This would have spread to the people. This would have spread to the priests. And he is proclaimed clean by them. And so again, to you who suffer and suffer guilt, do you know that you are indeed cleansed and have received a proclamation that you are fully restored? How foolish would it be for this man, this ex-leper, to after leaving the priests who have proclaimed him clean, how foolish would it be for him to withdraw and to yell to everyone, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, stay away. How foolish would it be for him to go live in a leper colony and isolate himself from all when he is no longer contaminated, but has been fully restored. When he's not full of leprosy anymore, he's cleansed, and there's no mark of it on his skin, his flesh is whole. It would be foolish to live as if he were a leper when he isn't. It's just as foolish for us to live and think and feel as if we are uncleansed when we are cleansed. Do we doubt the Lord's work? You see, here's the point. Can can you think of a picture of someone more unwholesome than what leprosy did in illustrating that in someone's flesh? You can't think of someone more unwholesome than that, but was cleansed. We are all sinners, and we are all just like that leper, but we who are in Christ are so cleansed as to be able to not shout unclean, but rather clean. Those who have been fully restored, and to not accept that is to deny the miracle of what Jesus does in your very flesh, in your very heart. To know that you are whole. Jesus commands him not to tell anyone, and there are many potential reasons for why he would tell him, don't go out and spread this. Let's just say it wasn't the right timing. The timing isn't right here. As well as Jesus is not in it for the fame. Jesus is not looking to, to, to spread his own name around. You can see that even in verse 16. As the crowds would come before him, as the crowds would seek him out to be healed, to, to make his name great, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so you see there what a humble Savior he is. You see one who is wise to rest, who is wise to pray, but one who's not in it for his fame. One who's in it to cleanse those who need it. One who's willing to touch the untouchable, but one who's not proud, nor seeking to do that as a stepping stone to some greater grandeur in the world's standing. Like us or someone who, if we would claim to have some power to heal, if we had power to heal, how many would use that power to make themselves great? And so the touching and the healing wouldn't be a mark of their compassion and care and willingness. It would just be a way in which to climb the ladder. And they could climb it on the cleansing miracles, but that's not what we see of Jesus. We see him doing the Father's will, loving the Father and loving his neighbor. This account shows us what Luke has already declared, a kingdom truth. Jesus' kingdom comes to cleanse the sinner, and his acts of power show the good news we struggle to embrace. Jesus came to touch the untouchable, undeniably declaring you clean. That's the point. 
that's as well his mission. And that's the truth we need to embrace, but embracing that truth is more than knowing that you're cleansed. It is that. But we need to be touched by Jesus, and we need to be the touch of Jesus. What does that mean? It means not only are we those cleansed, but we are those who are called out, the church, to go out and be that very touch of Jesus. Now, of course, we aren't those who go and and heal with our touch in the way Jesus did. We are those who go out and spread this same gospel and this same good news. And we are those who, in times where it becomes a quite literal application, we are those who will touch the ones no one else will. And we are those who go out into all places and proclaim the gospel to the good news of the people who receive it from no one else. To go out to the contaminated and the smelly, the grotesque and the rotting, and to proclaim in Christ and his touch, there's cleansing, there's new creation, there's forgiveness. People of God, we have been touched by Jesus to be the touch of Jesus. Jesus did the unthinkable. He touched the untouchable. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see your plan at work in the pages of your word. It plays out before us in a vivid narrative. And what it displays to us is a truth of compassion and love so grand, far surpassing what we can comprehend. What we see is our Savior whose mission and purpose, whose very kingdom that he set up, was one to come and to claim for himself the lepers, the blind, the imprisoned, the poor, the very poorest of the poor, the unclean, the sinners, those who needed a physician. And we praise you for we know that is who we are. And we ask, Lord, that you would give to us these two requests, that we would know in Christ, through faith, this cleansing, that we would believe it, that we would not be beat down by our sin, but rather turn our attention to the cleansing that you bring. And we pray as well that we would be the touch of Jesus, that we would not only see this truth and restoration in ourselves, we would be vehicles and instruments that go out to spread this good news. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.